Tuesday, March 22nd. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill. Joining me in studio today from Motley Fool Deep Value, Ron Gross. Hey there. Welcome. Thank you. Thanks always, for being always here. It's good to be here. You say that, but I always have to drag <laughs> you kicking and screaming. Well, once here. I'm here, it's good. <laughs> it's getting here. Exactly. It's the prep. I've got a long commute. It's the, it's the prep. Um, we're going to dip into the full mailbag. We're going to uh, we're going to hit uh, earnings season definitely winding down, but we are going to hit one company uh, reporting earnings today. I, I would be remiss if I did not start though with a decidedly non business note, and that is of course the news this morning, the terrible news out of Brussels this morning with the bombings and dozens of people uh, dead and more injured, and uh, our. Thoughts uh, here at the Motley Fool go out to everyone in in Belgium and and around the world, and yeah. Germany and France, and really all of Europe and and wherever you are listening, uh, it is our fervent hope that this terrible event has not been brought upon you, your family, or your friends. Um, there is no shortage of programs that is going to dissect this event and what it means politically. That is not what we do here. Um, so we will just conclude by saying, "Be safe out there." Let's let's talk earnings from Mattress Firm, uh, which is a real company name. Which is by a the real way. company name. Um, <laughs> you know what? Good for them. because yeah. <laughs> they went. They, they. I'd love to see the discussions around the table. Should we do it? Should we do it? You know what? No one's going to be confused about what our business is. I mean, should for, we flip it? Should it be Firm Mattress? Is that too cheesy? You know what? Yesterday, Jason Moser and I talked about Sherwin Williams plunking down nine billion dollars in cash to buy Valspar. Yeah. And one of the things. I said was, this is the first time I've ever even heard of Valspar. Valspar is not a company name that that would automatically tell you right. we're in the paint and coatings business. <laughs> Mat- with Sherwin Williams, by the way, <laughs> that's true. Uh, mattress firm very much in the mattress business and having a rough go of it. Uh, the fourth quarter wasn't good, and their guidance it, was pretty bad too. It's very interesting. I, I dove into this company, and it, it's it taught taught me it reinforced for me what happens when you can widen the lens. So just t- today is a bad day, and year to date the stock is down sixteen percent, and the last year. The stock is down 44%. But if you look at five years, the stock is up 70% over a five year period of time. And of course, we are long term holders. So it's just interesting to widen the lens a bit. This company just went public in 2011 at $19 a share. Stock's now 37 ish. They did a secondary as well in 2014 at 2150. So the stock is still up nicely from that IPO. Even though we're seeing some weakness today, as you said, um, the numbers actually weren't that bad. They're very, very messy because there's acquisition costs and there's costs related to the secondary offering that they completed in December. Um, so I think there's some confusion about were these results good or bad. Um, adjusted earnings, if you take out all that kind of noise, were actually up 29%. It was a pretty good quarter. Guidance was weaker than analysts were hoping for. We always talk about that really can hurt a stock. But if again, if you look out longer term, that theoretically shouldn't bother anyone. Um, they did name a new CEO, a person who's been with the company for a long time, the current president. Um, so I don't think that's necessarily worrying folks. Uh, another interesting thing about this company is that they recently completed um, the acquisition of the number two U.S. Um, bedding retailer, which is Sleepies. Another great name. Another great name. <laughs> um, for $780 million. So the company does have some debt on the balance sheet, but it's growing um, both from an organic perspective as well as through acquisitions. And the stock is up nicely since its IPO. Just, just pulling back a bit right today. 
Do you think that this is a stock price that just got ahead of itself, and that part of the pullback that we forget today, as you said, just the past year, the stock almost being cut in half. So, do you think that was mainly people saying, "Look, this is had a good run. I'm I'm done with this stock for now because it's way too expensive," or do you think that they they did hit some bumps? Uh, maybe a couple bumps, but I think for the most part, it was a stock that got ahead of itself. Listen, specialty retail is a tough, tough business. I mean, the the retail graveyard is littered with former specialty retailers, and it's hard to continue to put up good growth numbers. and And they're turning to acquisitions to continue to 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 do that. Um, even here, I, I want to say the stock is around maybe ten times EBITDA, ten times cash flow. Um, still not cheap, even with the pullback. Um, so it was just a stock that really was up nicely. A lot of people probably made um, some good money on it, especially some institutions, and they're just getting out while the getting's good. And not a company that's in the repeat purchase business. No, you, how often do you buy a bed? I right, mean, exactly. It's, it's it's every you know what ten years, twenty yeah. years, however long. MarketFoolery at fool.com is our email address from Andrew Stipe in Arizona. Is Titan International still on your radar? I've noticed it's bounced 40% since a few weeks ago when you said it was. What do you like about them and why do you think they have potential? Andrew, um, Andrew, I saved this question for when Ron Gross was going to be in the studio, <laughs> and I'm glad I'm here. Um, it is wholeheartedly on my radar. It is owned by me personally, and it is a stock in our deep value service that I run. Um, the stock is up 55% this year, but it actually was down 60% last year. So, again, if we widen the lens, we, we can see a little bit of a different picture. They make industrial wheels and tires. Uh, their end markets have been really weak. Um, mining and agriculture has been difficult. In the most recent conference call, management made some positive comments that things might be turning around. and I think that's why we see some, some momentum in the stock. Um, they have some new good tire technology that is putting them in a good position. So I think when the tide turns, they're going to be in good shape. Seems like they're, I mean, from a stock perspective, they're in pretty good shape, at least recently. They're, they're in pretty good shape recently. Um, something I definitely want to point out, I don't, uh, it would be remiss not to, is there's some balance sheet risk here. So we don't know when this cycle is going to turn. I think when it does, they'll be in good shape. We don't know when it'll turn, and as a result, cash flow is going to continue to be weak for a bit of time, although management thinks they'll be cash flow positive for 2016. But if you have some balance sheet with a decent amount of debt on it, at the same time you have a company with operating results that are weak, you could end up getting into trouble. So be aware. I do think, in the end, though, all things being equal, that the balance sheet is going to end up being okay. They've got a lot of debt coming due in January 2017, which is kind of right around the corner from a balance sheet perspective. But I believe they're going to be able to work that out, whether they're going to be able to refinance or whether they're going to be able um, to service the ongoing debt. Um, so I think they'll be okay. I think the stock's at $6 right now. I mean, I literally I could see it being $15 stock when this tide eventually turns. They'll have um, increased market share from their new tire technology. Um, they've, they've really made the company quite lean um, during these tough times and cut a lot of costs, taken, taken a lot of fat out of the business. So, it is wholeheartedly on my radar. And just in case anyone's ears perked up when they heard the phrase balance sheet risk, you're, not, you're, you're just talking about debt. You're not talking about risk from the standpoint, as we've seen with some other companies recently, where there are questions about the accounting. 
Uh, correct. There okay. is, uh, no, I'm not. I'm not concerned about that. I'm just concerned with the level of debt, their ability to refinance debt that's going to come due, and if operations remained weak over long periods of time, even their ability to service that debt, pay the interest on that debt, um, could potentially be a problem. Balancing all that out, though, I uh, still am an owner of the stock. I recommend the stock. It's currently rated a buy in our deep value service. I think it's um, significantly undervalued, even after the run up so far this year. Question from longtime listener Bill King, who identifies himself as listener number 666, Uh-oh. because as he says, someone has to be. Uh, <laughs> is it possible to maybe do a week where you focus on lesser discussed companies? There are plenty of S&P 500 companies held by lots of people that I don't recall being talked about much or at all. Bristol Myers Squibb, Shell, Exelon, etc. are all not sexy companies, but ones that might be interesting to talk about occasionally. Uh, keep up the good work. It, it, you know, it's a it's a good question, uh, and when it comes to what we talk about on market foolery, the uh, supply and demand uh, comes into effect because we've only got so much time, and there, you know, there, we can't hit all the companies. But he right. raises a good point about, you know. He calls it companies that aren't sexy. We, sometimes we talk about boring. Companies. Sometimes we talk about mattress companies. Sometimes we talk about <laughs> mattress companies. No, but he's right. For for podcasts or radio purposes, it it makes sense to talk about the companies that are owned very widely and. And those are often um, in the S and P 500. But even the lesser known companies in the S and P 500 are very, very widely held by both institutional and retail investors. They're covered by all the major research firms. So when I think of kind of sleepy, non-sexy companies, I'm not even coming close to thinking about the S and P 500. Although you know he's correct, they're they're not all Amazons and Netflix out there. Um, there are lesser known. But when I think of of the uh, unsexy kind of companies that aren't followed, that you don't hear people. People talk about. I'm thinking usually about smaller companies. Um, Titan International. Titan International, <laughs> a very small company. So yeah, companies in our deep value service who are uh, those that are underfollowed, even often unloved in the case of deep value, or more mainstream co- companies that are doing well and are loved but are just smaller, like those recommended in, in our hidden gem service, for example, Diamond Hill Investments, Decker's Outdoor, AMN Healthcare, um, companies that don't necessarily roll off the tongue. But are still really great companies, and that hope to be one day big enough to be in the S and P 500. But of course, aren't there yet? It's interesting because we talk from time to time about emotion and human bias and how that plays into how we act as investors. And I think there is something. There is a negative connotation for a lot of people where, when they whether they're talking to someone at a backyard barbecue. Or they're talking to their financial advisor. It's tough to sell someone on the idea of a boring business because when you think about inherent in the question, "Do you have a stock tip for me?" a hot stock tip inherent in that question (laughs) is the connotation of something exciting, of something unknown, cutting edge, a technology very few people have heard of. It's not. Oh, this is. Bristol Myers Squibb. This right. is a giant in the pharmaceutical industry. This is Shell, a giant in the decidedly unsexy oil and gas industry. You're totally right, and that's why I'm a terrible person to talk to at a, pic- <laughs> at a picnic. Because I, I tend to believe um, 
and the last year notwithstanding, that if you're really looking for undervalued companies, you can't fish in the waters of the S&P 500, and you certainly can't fish in the waters of those that are commonly you know, talked about at every cocktail party. You have to go to the underfollowed companies that are less efficiently priced, perhaps aren't covered by any analysts on Wall Street, aren't owned widely by institutions. That's where you'll really find the most undervalued companies. Now, having said that, what companies were the strongest last year? Amazon, Netflix, you know the the big boys. So, so that that over time, I believe I am uh, correct in that if you if you look for companies that are underfollowed, you'll find ones that are undervalued. But in any given year, you certainly will have these great big companies that are, are momentum companies um, and, and truly wonderful companies. Stocks aren't necessarily cheap, but they still will continue to rise. To go back to Bill King's question, is there a company or two in the S and P 500 that you think eh, that's that's pretty boring, but it's it's worth keeping on your watch list? You know, I, I was thinking more of smaller companies when I when I do the watch list though. But I like um, some of the energy companies. Certainly, here is where I would probably look. Um, I I don't want to name a few because I don't want to say that they're they're necessarily a buy. But if you want to look at undervalued companies, look at an S and P 500 that company that perhaps is just not loved right now. Certainly, the energy sector is a place to look. Or if you don't want directly. Um, an actual energy company, perhaps a company that provides infrastructure um, to to the energy industry, is kind of where I would look. I think the last time you were in here for Market Fullery, you had just been down in New Orleans. Yeah, yeah. the college tour continues. It does. How was Ann Arbor, Michigan? Uh, what a great town! I mean, obviously New Orleans is a great town, and and our engineer Dan just came back from there as well. Um, but uh, Ann Arbor loved it. I mean, we walked and walked and walked and ate and ate and ate, and um, it was great. University of Michigan is, is, a, is a lovely place. When you go to these colleges, is there an expectation that branded paraphernalia, branded apparel will be purchased? This it, is, that is a great question. Thank you. And I have a great answer. Oh. So, so, my daughter specifically By the says- way, I, think, I think the listeners get to decide how great the question <laughs> well, is. The it has, it just, it, it's a great question because it's been discussed okay. by my daughter and I. Um, she specifically said she does not want to do that. She wants to wait to make her decision of where she's going to go, and then she's going to load up like there's no tomorrow, nice. rather than buy a little bit of something everywhere she goes. Nice. Yeah. So I thought that made sense. Uh, I had mentioned uh, the other day that we did a bonus episode of Market Foolery. We're giving away an investing library. You can go to podcast.fool.com to enter. Just type in your email address there. Uh, we could. There's only so many mics that we can fit around the table. There are only so many chairs we can <laughs> yeah. fit around the table. So. You were not in the no, room. No, I, I heard some when of we, that. Though. When we taped it, yeah. but you you are one of the people who recommended one of the ten books that we're going to be giving away. Uh, share a little bit about the book you chose and why you chose it. So my book was Your Money in Your Brain by Jason Zweig, a relatively well known um, journalist and author. Um, and the reason I picked that is I, I firmly believe that we can all kind of learn to understand businesses. It can take some time, and we can all kind of learn how to read a financial statement. And we can put ourselves on the same footing there. But what is often overlooked is how the brain can trick you into making bad decisions. We're wired a certain way. It's just the way we've come to the earth. 
And sometimes that can be counterproductive um, when it comes to making investments. We buy at the wrong time, we sell at the wrong time, we anchor on things we shouldn't be anchoring on. And your money in your brain discusses a lot of these behavioral finance kind of um, things that we can learn about and then try to kind of mitigate. We can't we can't kind of make them go away, but we can recognize when we're our brains are, are leading us down the wrong path. And that's why I think this is a great book. The timing is fortuitous because this weekend, this coming weekend on Motley Fool Money, we're going to be airing an interview that I did with Jason Zweig. Uh, and if and Ron's right, if you're not familiar with Jason Zweig, definitely one of the best people that you can read online. He's a longtime columnist for The Wall Street Journal, a great person to follow on Twitter. And I interviewed him at the end of last year. Mm. He had a new book out, The Devil's Financial Dictionary. And it was one of those interviews that just kept going. That, that he, he was very gracious with the amount of time that he gave me. And so, we ended up taping a, a very lengthy interview. A short version of it aired last November. Great. But this weekend, we're going to be airing the entire thing. So, definitely worth checking out. Thanks for being here, man. My pleasure. Thank you. At some point in the future, I hope you'll come back, not just to, you know, to talk about whatever is the business news of the day or answer email, but also to share what school your daughter. <laughs> yeah, that, that will be interesting. Before we end, I'm going to throw in one thing about Titan News today oh, okay. I wanted to mention. Oh, okay. Um, they've got an offer for their Italian subsidiary for what they say um, is a nine figure purchase. Price, which the lowest nine-figure purchase price would be hundred million dollars, um, and they're only a three hundred and forty million dollar market cap company. This could be a very interesting way for them to unlock some value if, if they go through with that transaction that just happened today. So uh, keep an eye on it. They've gotten the offer, but they have not decided whether or not they're accepting. Correct. The offer. They're setting up a, a little special committee to review the offer. They have in the past said they would be willing to perhaps part with it for the right price. Is nine figures the right price? We'll see. Any indication of timing from the company and, and when they think they'll? No, but I would think we'll hear something. I don't know, a couple of weeks. Thanks for being here. My pleasure. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and the Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's going to do it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by Dan Boyd. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow.